Good morning. Welcome to North Carolina Court of Appeals. Uh, my name is Judge Chris Dillon. I'll be presiding today and also presiding with me is Judge John Tyson and Judge Toby Hampson. We have one case on the calendar. It's the state of North Carolina versus Edwards. And if the appellant is ready to, to proceed, um, you can go ahead and just let me know how much time you want to uh, save for rebuttal. And, and, I, and I'll keep your time. There's a clock there, but I'll but we're a little generous with that if we start asking questions. But how much time would you like to save for rebuttal? Five minutes, Your Honor. Thank you. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Can everyone hear me okay? Pretty good. Um, yeah, if you can, can you get a little bit closer to the microphone? <laughs> okay, is that better? Yeah. That's better. Thanks, man. Thank you. All right. Uh, well, may it please the court. I'm Ann Gomez from the Appellate Defender's Office here on behalf of Mr. Edwards. And today I would like to focus on issue one in my brief. And in this case, uh, Trooper Josh Settlemeyer testified without being qualified as an ac accident reconstruction expert that Mr. Edwards was driving 70 miles per hour at the time of the accident that resulted in Ms. Teaster's death. And the trial court instructed the jury on the elements of involuntary manslaughter as applied to the evidence in this case. And those instructions are in pertinent part are that Mr. Edwards drove recklessly by passing in a no passing zone, traveling at an excessive speed under wet road conditions with deficient tire tread. And the second part of the reckless driving part of the involuntary manslaughter instruction uh, was that he did so carelessly and heedlessly in willful or wanton disregard of the rights and safety of others. And the second part of the instruction is that he was culpably negligent uh, in his reckless driving, meaning that the reckless driving had to be willful, wanton, or intentional and accompanied by recklessness of probable consequences of a dangerous nature when tested by the rule of reasonable foresight amounting to a thoughtless disregard of the consequences or a heedless indifference to the safety of others. So involuntary manslaughter in this situation requires much more than just reckless driving. It also requires culpable negligence. And if the jury determined that Mr. Edwards simply passed in a no passing zone, had low tire tread, and was speeding in wet conditions, but not at the level of 70 miles per hour, let's say 55 miles per hour in the 45 mile per hour zone that he was driving in, uh, the jury may have found him guilty of reckless driving and or misdemeanor death by vehicle as opposed to involuntary manslaughter. In other words, going 25 miles over the speed limit in wet conditions is a significant factor that could lead a jury to find culpable negligence. Recklessness of probable dangerous consequences tested by the rule of reasonable foresight um, amounting to a thoughtless disregard of the consequences or a heedless indifference to the rights of others and could lead the jury to convict him of involuntary manslaughter as opposed to a lesser offense. But the, the jury was not required to find any particular speed. It was, it was 
the instruction was simply excessive. Right. So, um, but was was there not other evidence from which the jury uh, could infer or jury could find, you know, perhaps circumstantial evidence that that in fact your client was driving at a quote excessive speed, even if not potentially seventy miles an hour. Well, the jury could have inferred that Mr. Edwards was speeding by some amount based on the nature of the accident and the damage to the car, keeping in mind that some of the damage was caused by the fire department. But the jury may have considered that the rainy conditions would have resulted in a more severe accident and more damage to the car um, than if the road was dry and found that Mr. Edwards was not going at the level of 70 miles an hour. And even if the jury believed Mr. Edwards was speeding by some amount, there's a big difference between, you know, what they might infer, uh, say, 10 miles over the speed limit and 25 miles over the speed limit. Let me sure understand your first point. So if the, if the officer never testified that he was going 70 miles per hour, you're not saying there wasn't enough to at least go to a jury, but you're just saying that it's, it's pro- but this 70 miles per hour is is quite probable or whatever was the thing that kicked it over yes exactly um, i'm not trying to say they would have found him necessarily not guilty of anything and i did not even challenge the the reckless driving um conviction um in my brief Um, yeah but i'm I'm saying that if, if he had never testified to the 70 miles per hour are you saying that could the involuntary manslaughter even gone to the jury based on the evidence that was before um, yes, I, I believe it could have. But okay, that's, that's that's but but you're just saying that the 70 miles per hour was there's a there's a likelihood that was the thing that got the jury to that verdict. Okay, that that okay. that was really the biggest factor. And as far as the tire tread, um, I don't think there was evidence before the jury that he owned the car. There was some stuff in this collision packet that showed that, but I, the jury was never shown those things. So. And, you know, whether he knew there was deficient tire tread, you know, may not have weighed very heavily. Um, and uh, we also, he was, I mean, he was not intoxicated uh, when, and we really don't, you know, and we have the, the evidence of the accident and the nature of, you know, Ms. Teaster's injuries and death, um, but nobody witnessed the accident. Nobody really knew how fast he was going. Um, he passed Ms. McIntosh a mile or two uh, before the accident, um, and that couldn't have contributed to the accident. So I, I don't think, you know, that would have been a big factor for the jury. Um, and also she was going 40 miles an hour so we know that he was going more than 40 miles an hour this gomez uh did trial counsel object to the introduction of this evidence well it's a little complicated your honor um he objected to states exhibit two which was the collision packet and he said i think there's some opinions in there that would not be admissible into evidence that was based on an objection that it was a reconstruction though correct 
Right, and then later, outside the presence of the jury, he said, it's the officer's estimation of reconstruction of what happened, we would contend, and not actually what happened. And then before the jury, um, the state asked, and what was your estimate? What was the estimated speed? And defense counsel objected, and that was overruled. And they said 70 miles per hour. Um, so are we under an abuse of discretion review on the admission of testimony? Or are we under plain error review? What, how should this court, under what basis should this court review your arguments? Uh, abuse of discretion, Your Honor, and I did not really properly flesh that out in my principal brief, and I, I addressed that in my reply brief. I, I saw that. Yes, and but you, I, I guess I'm sort of saying that the and there was also an objection to the admission of states exhibit two into evidence. Um, and so I think all of that together is enough to preserve this, especially that he, he did say I'm objecting to the reconstruction. Um, and, but I did, I am arguing in the alternative that it's plain error if this court does not accept that argument. If we, well, find, if we find that it is plain error, basically, what is your burden to show us basically not only um, error, but prejudice, correct? Correct. Uh, that a probable impact on the verdict or a reasonable probability of a different result. And even if that's true, if we find other evidence to support that would even overcome the argument of prejudice, would it not? Well, I don't think just the existence of other evidence, it's not a sufficiency test, really. It's, uh, and I, I'm not shooting for the moon here. I, I'm saying there is a reasonable probability of misdemeanor death by vehicle. Um, and so that meets the burden of, you know, an impact on the verdict that the verdict but that was that, that was were, before the jury was it not that that lesser included. It was presented to the jury, yes. And but you're I asking us to find that the officer's statement of a 70, 75 mile an hour standing alone was sufficient error to to have a new trial. Yes, I am. Um either under plain error review or abuse of discretion? Yes. Okay. Um, I don't want you to read me your brief because I've read it, but I'm, I'm just trying to understand under both of those are very deferential standards to the trial court. You, you agree with that? Yes, I do. And you have a heightened burden under either standard to show error and prejudice. Yes, um, I guess. The whole, the way the expert testimony was treated in this case was just very odd to me that nobody brought up like qualifying the experts or, you know, doing anything at all with it. And it was very strange that the um, state characterized the medical examiner as a fact witness. Um, and yeah, to get back to your question, your honor, I, I think that the 70 miles per hour was, I, I would argue that could put the jury over the edge from going 
for uh, the misdemeanor death by vehicle. And the jury even sent out a note that said, can we make a recommendation? And that was a recommendation as to sentence. So I, I interpret that as meaning they didn't want him to get the book totally thrown at him, but they, they did not go for misdemeanor death by vehicle. Thanks. Thank you. Um, and I guess, uh, let, let me, let me drill down this. So, so the reason you're saying that the evidence, the testament should not have come in because he was not qualified. Had, there was no evidence that he was an expert in this area. Is that right? Yes. And the state has conceded that. Okay. So if he's not an expert, I'm just trying to get the right center of view is wouldn't his, wouldn't his, wouldn't his opinion be inadmissible as a matter of law, or is that still an abuse of discretion? I mean, if he's not, if he's not qualified as an expert, does he need to be Can only an expert give this type of testimony? That is a great point, Your Honor, that I had not thought of. And um, I can further research that and submit a memorandum. Let me ask you this too. Okay, so when he, I think um, there was an objection made, but was the objection made, is it clear from the context that the objection was based on the fact that he was, because is that, what was was a reason stated for the objection or was it just was it just objection your honor um he should not be allowed to test I mean, was was there a reason i mean did, did they state the reasoning or the it was just a general objection which is why i argued plain error in the alternative um i did have argued that it relates back to what was said outside the presence of the jury that it's the officer's estimation um, of reconstruction of what happened, we would contend and not actually what happened. Um, and, and I'll ask to state this because I know that, you know, you, you may not have to state the grounds if it's obvious from the context, but I don't, I mean, I'd, you know, and I want to hear, is it, would there be some other basis that the, the, it could have been, or is it, is it so obvious that that was the reason because he's not an expert or was it, or could there have been a lot of things? And so the, the judge was okay, okay in saying, you know, overruled because you didn't really get your client or, or the, the attorney didn't state the reason. I'm just trying to understand Yeah, I, just I on that basis. I can't think of another reason, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm, this court will decide whether or not this is preserved. I realize this is not well preserved. If it's, if it is in fact preserved, um, the attorney could have done better. Um, but I believe there's enough here that this court can find that it is preserved. But it, I mean, it is pretty well established in our case law that a uh, lay witness opinion testimony as to the speed of a vehicle has to be based on the actual perception of that lay witness. It can't be it can't be sort of based on a you know sort of hypothetical set of facts that you would present to to an expert, which is why the state's conceding error here, I think. Is that, I mean, is, is that fair to say? Oh, yes, yes. That lay witness testifies to what they've seen with their eyes or heard with their ears. And an expert witness is someone who goes beyond that and is ter interpreting facts that they have not, in fact, observed. Oh. The jury also found your client guilty of reckless driving, correct? Yes. 
Um, and basic difference between the misdemeanor death by vehicle and the um, involuntary manslaughter would be some element of malice or some act by your client that would elevate, correct? Correct. Uh, culpable negligence, yes. Okay. So they didn't find him guilty of speeding. They found him guilty of reckless driving. Yes. So going back to whether we're under plain error review or preserved error review, wouldn't the fact that they found reckless driving in and of itself support the higher verdict? Well, I, it's only one part of the higher verdict. The other part is culpable negligence. And well, the reckless driving in itself would be culpable negligence. In fact, reckless driving could even support malice to support second degree too, could it not? Um, I, I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to that question, Your Honor. Well, let's presume that reckless driving could show malice. Even the reckless driving could support. I know that DUI can support it. Reckless to, to support um, or to, to support malice. So I'm just, you know, let's say that, that it shouldn't have happened. Um, I'm just having a hard time seeing how you can demonstrate prejudice under any standard review, abuse of discretion, plain error, or preserved error. Even if there was error for him to testify to speed, there was other evidence of reckless driving through the tires, the conditions of the weather, uh, the passing. All of those could support the reckless driving, which itself could support culpable negligence. So help me get there. Help me get there to show in the light of reckless driving. Are, are, you, are you saying that that conviction is also unsupported too? Um, no. And I guess, the, I mean, reckless driving can uh, be culpable negligence, but just saying reckless driving equals culpable negligence, I don't think is, is true, but that the reckless driving has to be done uh, accompanied Let's see, excuse me. Um, it has to be willful, wanton, or intentional, and accompanied by recklessness of probable consequences of a dangerous nature when tested by the rule of reasonable foresight, uh, amounting to a thoughtless disregard of the consequences or heedless indifference to the safety of others. Okay, let's so, say we give you a new trial on the involuntary manslaughter. And, and we we leave the reckless driving undisturbed. If it goes back, don't you think the prosecutor is going to be saying, Judge, we want a preemptory instruction to the jury that reckless driving in and of itself could support the jury's verdict? I mean, it doesn't get you anywhere, does it? Even if we leave out the speed. That's why I'm, that's why I'm having a hard time finding prejudice. That's exactly why. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, to explain, I did not challenge the reckless driving. I, I know you didn't. That's the reason I'm trying to bring this up. And I, I will explain why, um, and it has to do with the probable cause requirement of uh, involuntary manslaughter and, um, 
so I felt like uh, him passing Ms. McIntosh one or two miles before the accident um, was not a probable cause of the accident, but it could be certainly be considered reckless driving if that was in a no passing zone. What about the conditions of the road and the conditions of the vehicle, the tires? Um, I just felt that it was a stronger argument in terms of prejudice um, for the involuntary manslaughter because of the additional requirement of culpable negligence. And I don't believe reckless driving necessarily always equals culpable negligence because well, you then just read the, you just read the definition that said recklessness. Correct, Your Honor, but we would not okay if we if they're the same thing then we would just have like a crime called reckless driving and then another one called reckless driving that results in death um so but we have a higher standard for involuntary manslaughter and misdemeanor death by vehicle is more like reckless driving that results in death um but then we have another requirement for involuntary manslaughter, which is a, a, a higher level of recklessness than is required for just mere reckless driving. There's not a culpability requirement on misdemeanor death by vehicle, is there? There's not a, a finding of recklessness or the fact is that you cause the death of another human being by means of a vehicle. Isn't that sufficient to support that yes yes culpable negligence is not required for misdemeanor death by vehicle so i i don't know even if you prevail on the speed argument i don't know that you know you may win the win the battle but lose the war if if the reckless driving conviction stands because i know if i was in a da's office i know what i would do on remand is just ask for preemptory instruction well, there's two, as I said at the beginning of my argument, there are two parts of involuntary manslaughter in this situation. One is reckless driving and the other one's culpable negligence. So even if the DA asked for that instruction, the jury would still have to find that this was a more extreme level of recklessness than is required for a reckless driving conviction. So you're saying not all culpable, not all reckless driving involves culpable negligence? Yes. Okay, that's what you're saying. I have a question. If the if the trial court judge should have sustained the objection, then clearly we're here on prejudicial error review. Um, but if the trial court judge, if you're not saying that it, the objection was properly made, um, how do we get the plain error review? Because I don't know how you have plain error unless the trial court committed error. So let's suppose the officer testified 70 miles per hour and no objection was made. Did the trial court have any duty to intervene and do anything? Why wouldn't this be more more akin to an IAC claim and and assist um, the the IAC uh, the ineffective assistance of counsel claim than a than a plain error? Because as I already said, the trial court's got to make some error. Well, I guess the error of the trial court would be allowing what who uh, a person who is essentially a lay witness to testify to accident reconstruction. 
Well, it could be trial strategy. I don't know why. I mean, I, yeah, I understand that. But, I mean, does the trial court have a duty to intervene if, if no objections made by the trial counsel? That's what I'm trying to understand. I mean, I know there's some point where it gets ridiculous where a trial court judge should do it. But sometimes it's like, you know, if somebody testifies to hearsay. I mean, it's not my job to intervene if there might be trial. I mean, I don't know what why you're not I, objecting, but you know, it's not my duty to do anything. There might be at some point, but do you think it rose to that? Assuming no objection was made, was there a duty to say, wait a minute, you can't testify to this. Aren't you going to object? Or is it, is it, does the trial court have a duty to do anything? I believe so, because that evidence was incompetent. So a judge has a duty to intervene every time incompetent evidence is entered, even if it's not objected to, or at least in this situation is what you're arguing. Well, I'm not, you know, and I'm not sure that that is is really the plain error standard. That's more like the standard for um, intervening in a closing argument, a duty to intervene in something that is grossly right. improper. Uh, plain error is designed for, uh, you know, errors that appear on the face of the record that were not objected to. Um, okay. You got about one minute before you eat into your five minutes. So I just wanted to point that out. If you want to wrap this part up. Yes. Okay. Well, I, uh, I think we've covered everything that I wanted to talk about. So if there are no other questions, I'll reserve the remainder for rebuttal. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your argument. Thank you so much. Okay. We'll hear from the appellee. Good morning, your honors. Um, may it please the court. My name is Jeremy Lindsley. I represent the state of North Carolina in this matter. Your honors. Can you get a little closer to your microphone, please? Uh, I can try. Or we'll turn up our volume. Speak up. Maybe we can turn up our volume. Let's, we'll turn up our volume. We're, we're all the way up on ours, so. Okay. Is that better? That's perfect. Okay, I can read. Great. Uh, the state's position in this matter, Your Honors, is that there is sufficient evidence, more than sufficient evidence in this case, to overcome any error that might have occurred in the admission of the uh, trooper's opinion about the defendant's need. To prevail in this uh, appeal, the defendant must show to the court, state's position is that, uh, but for this error, the jury probably would have reached a different verdict. And stating it that way indicates that the state's contention is that the plain error rule and plain error analysis should apply to this issue. Uh, and the reason that the state takes that position is that uh, although uh, some objection was made to the position of uh, the speed defendant's car, that objection was insufficient or was waived at some point during the testimony of this, of this officer. And because of that, the, this error was not sufficiently preserved, which means that the plain error analysis should apply. So the 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 as I recall, and correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, the the jury was specifically instructed that the one component of the of the recklessness in this case was traveling at an excessive speed. Is that correct? That's correct. So, that, that, so the jury was instructed that they had to find the excessive speed component here, correct? Um, before they could convict uh, Mr. Edwards of involuntary manslaughter. That's correct. So, Your Honor. so how would inadmissible 
um, you know, clearly inadmissible testimony, lay opinion testimony of the evidence of, of speed in this case, not be prejudicial. Well, it's not prejudicial because of all of the other evidence admitted during the course of the trial that's indicative of this defendant's guilt. There was plenty of other evidence that was competent evidence uh, that did not rely on an expert's testimony. What, what evidence of what what evidence of excessive speed in particular? Well, uh, in particular, with regard to the speed, uh, we have the fact that this that the defendant lost control of his vehicle. That um, there was significant damage done to this vehicle, uh, such that uh, the passenger was ejected from the vehicle during the collision and died from her injuries. Uh, also, that uh, the rear passenger damage again was so severe that the rear passenger had to be cut out by um, emergency service workers to get her out of the vehicle. So this is not a, a collision. This is not a minor collision. This is a collision that suggests that this vehicle was going very fast. Uh, you would not get this kind of damage otherwise. In but you didn't. But there was no expert testimony. To that effect, no, there was there was no expert testimony as to the actual speed of the vehicle. But well, that's no, not... I mean, there was there was there was no expert. Was there expert testimony from an accident reconstructionist that said, you know, this type of damage in this kind of condition would only occur, you know, you know, at, at, at a certain rate of speed or an excessive speed? Was there any? You know, was there anything to tie, you know, to, to sort of create that, you know, to create that body of evidence that, that sure. from which a jury could actually make sure. that conclusion? Well, first of all, the jury didn't have to find any particular speed. All they had to find was that it was an excessive speed. And I think most people are familiar with motor vehicles, how they operate. Um, and a lot of folks have been in accidents themselves. I think it's not a far stretch for a jury fur from the facts that they received in this case to come to the conclusion that this vehicle was traveling at excessive speed for the conditions that existed at the time. Haven't, uh, haven't we found culpable negligence, at least in a civil case, where someone was driving too fast for conditions, prevailing conditions, even with no evidence that they were exceeding the posted speed limit. I believe correct? that's correct, Your Honor. Um, so the, the fact that even if he wasn't exceeding the posted speed limit, he could still be culpable negligent for driving too fast for the prevailing conditions. He could. And in fact, he could even be found uh, driving at, at an excessive speed if he's driving under the posted speed limit. Uh, the conditions that exist really dictate whether or not and in this case, we've got a wet road, uh, curvy characteristics at night with arguable tires for visibility and, and bald tires. Uh, and weight of all of that evidence is sufficient to allow the jury to find that this defendant is driving recklessly. It's culpably negligent. What's the state's position on the standard of review here? Are we under plain error review? Are we you've conceded error, right? Correct. That's are correct. we under uh, abuse of discretion? Are we under 
um, plain error? Are we under some duty of the trial judge to intervene in the absence of any objection? I mean, where are we? Well, to be fair, I think Daubert, uh, the Supreme Court case establishing uh, expert testimony, the requirements for expert testimony, would dictate that the court does have some duty when it comes to expert testimony, ensuring that um, expert opinion testimony be competent, uh, that, that it come from an expert person who's qualified as an expert. Um, and that didn't happen in this case. Nevertheless, uh, the defendant um, has some duty to observe the error if the court doesn't do it itself uh, by objection or some other means. I think the defendant in this case made an attempt perhaps to do that, do it sufficiently. Uh, and therefore, it's the state's position that this court should be. Well, let I'm, me ask always, you. I'm always reluctant to make the trial judge sit second chair for either the prosecution or the defense, you know? I understand, Your Honor. I understand. But to be fair, I think uh, the Supreme Court opinion of Daubert uh, is an instruction, more or less, that the court does have some gatekeeping duty used. So that's the basis for your concession of error? Uh, essentially, that and um, our own state's case law that seems to state that or it doesn't seem to, but does hold that uh, lay opinion uh, testimony of the speaking that witness has not him or herself observed that vehicle is not allowed. Well, neither is hearsay evidence, but 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 if, if somebody testifies to hearsay and it's not objected to, I, I, I think Judge Tice's point is, what error does the trial court make? But I, I have a question for you. They did object and as I understand the rules, you know, if it's a general objection, but it's obvious from the context, the basis for it, then it's preserved. So there was, there was, as I understand, there was an objection. So why was it not obvious from the context what the basis of the objection was for? When when he he's getting ready to say how fast the car's going, objection, Your Honor, without saying objection, he has not been qualified as an expert. On what other basis might it have been based on? I'm just curious. Why wasn't it obvious from the context? Or am I wrong about the, the law there as far as making objections? No, I agree with your honor. I think you've correctly characterized the law. And I agree that uh, had the objection um, been just that objection. Your Counselor, honor, can you please that, speak up a little bit? We're having a tough time hearing you. Sorry, my apologies. Um, your honor, I think is correct on the law, but the objection at the time that the speed testimony was about to come in was later waived when this exhibit two, which contained the officer's accident report, um, that accident report also contained a little box that showed estimated speed 70 miles per hour. That was admitted into evidence. The objection made at the time that that exhibit was introduced or, or offered was a general objection. And this is a multi-page document that contains not only the accident, uh, the officer's accident report, but also other documents that included measurements of uh, tire marks at the scene, measurements of the tread depth of the tires, um, and uh, defendant's driving record. Um, that driving record was allowed in part later in the trial, but 
the general objection made at the time that this exhibit was offered and introduced was not specific as to what elements of that multi-page, multi-factorial exhibit uh, was offered. And uh, it's the state's position that without providing that specificity, without asking the court to be heard and making an argument specific to accident reconstruction information or the speed. So perhaps, the first, so perhaps when the officer said, uh, they asked, how fast were you going? Objection, that might be good enough to, because you're saying that might be obvious from the context, but even if that's true, when the, uh, the accident report was introduced, we don't know what the objection was based on and therefore it would have gotten it was it was in there anyway is that what you're saying that's that's correct your honor that's okay so then we've got to assess whether or not the jury would have read that little box or how damning it was for the officer actually to say on the stand 70 miles per hour so you're conceding maybe that was preserved at least the officer's actual testimony but not the accident report is that what you're saying um i think it's or can you I'm give not, me some other context? Can you give me some other reason based on, I'm, I'm, just, just focus on the officer's testimony. What other basis could that objection been based on? What other reason besides he's not an expert? And if you can't think of one, I, I guess you're conceding that it's obvious from the context. No, that's that's not the case, Your Honor. Uh, the, the document, again, was a multi-page document. No, I'm talking about the document. I'm just talking about the, 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 the uh, him just on the stand saying, I think, how fast was he going? 70. I mean, Objection no, I, 70. I mean, was there any other base? Uh, was there any basis from that objection besides the fact that he wasn't an expert? That's not, is it obvious from the context just on that part? Do you think? Yes, I agree with your honor at that, at that particular point, I think the context is, is quite obvious. Okay. That's so true. then you, so you're just saying it got in anyway through the accident report. Okay. That's correct. Okay. Coming in, it's, it's basically came in through another means. And that would cure any error or that would waive any error, correct? That's the state's position, yes, Your Honor. And that's why the state argues that plain error analysis applies. But um, let me say also that even if the court should find plain error analysis is not appropriate, if the court is going to view this matter under a lesser standard, the evidence in the case still overcomes any claim of prejudice from the admission of this uh, speed testimony. Again, going back to the evidence that was presented to the, to the jury uh, about the circumstances of this accident on a wet road at night, passing in a no passing zone, um, severe damage to the vehicle, death of a pass ejection and death of a passenger and driving on bald tires. The weight of all of that, um, even without testimony about the, the defendant driving at seven miles per hour, is sufficient to allow the jury to find culpable negligence, reckless driving, leading to the uh, supporting the, the ultimate conviction of involuntary manslaughter. Well, I want to ask you the same question I ask uh, defendants' counsel. Uh, he is not arguing that the jury's conviction for reckless driving—that's not even so. Basically, their defendants conceding that conviction. Is that conviction enough sufficient to provide the culpable negligence to support the jury's verdict on involuntary manslaughter? Yes, Your Honor, I believe it is. If the defendant is, is in fact, conceding the uh, reckless driving conviction, reckless driving in and of itself is viewed as culpable negligence. 
Um, once you've got that established, that is sufficient support for the involuntary manslaughter conviction. Is that what you're arguing on page, starting on page 24 of your brief? That even if we find the, the, the testimony to be error, and even if it was prejudicial, it's not so prejudicial that it would overcome the convict the jury's conviction that's not challenged. Yes, Your Honor, that's correct. That is correct. That that is the argument uh, I believe that you're referring to. Um, and if I can go back, just to briefly address the last question you asked, Your Honor, um, in State versus Robertson, uh, the court held that reckless driving constitutes culpable negligence. Right. Uh, so all, all there need be is that they, state versus Roberts. Robertson state versus Robertson. Can you give me the citation on that? I can. That's 240 NC 745. What's the 1st, 3 numbers again? 240 your honor. The Supreme Court Supreme Court case. Um, it is. Somewhat, uh. uh uh, old, it's 1954, but it's still good law. Uh, um, would you submit that as a memorandum of additional authority? Um, I can, Your Honor, but that, that is cited in my brief on page 17. Let, hold, hold, give me a moment, please. Sure. Oh, it's Robertson, R O B E R, Robertson, right? Correct, Robertson. Page no, 17 and 25 of your brief. Yes. Yes, Your okay, Honor. Thank you. I had let, me, let, me, I let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Something that, that, um, that was going to brought up. Um, was there was evidence that he was there evidence that he was passing in a no passing zone? Is that correct? That's the state's contention. Yes, Your Honor. Um, okay. Would that be would passing in a no passing zone be grounds in, in a rainy day or wet conditions be grounds for reckless driving? I think uh, in and of itself, even without on a rainy day, could constitute reckless driving. Okay, but it, so I think what the states arguing that evidence by itself would be grounds for the to sustain the conviction for the reckless driving, but the evidence could be viewed that that had nothing to do with the accident. The accident happened down the road later, and the, the jury had to figure out what caused that accident. Was it driving too fast, or or what happened? I don't know. So I think that that's what she was arguing was. It, it, they are. There might be separate events, and so even if you have reckless driving, the jury still has to make a jump that that was the reckless driving. That was a component that caused the accident. I mean, it is culpable negligence, but it's still got to. If it if that's what caused the accident, I guess that's what they're arguing. Right, Your Honor. I believe my understanding of of what happened during the trial during the charge conference in particular is that it was the state's contention that. Um, all of the defendant's actions constituted a single stream of action that began with the uh, passing in the no passing zone and culminated in the accident. Uh, so instead of looking at it as separate events, uh, the reckless driving was viewed as uh, a series of events, which included the passing in a no passing zone, which uh, the state argues was some evidence of the defendant's driving uh, at the near the time of the accident, suggestive of some carelessness moments before the accident happened. 
Uh, so the jury, I think, would be free to okay. Well, let me ask you this: if the okay, if the if the objection was properly preserved, and this seventy mile per hour statement should not have come in in any way, if it, if it was all preserved, we would be looking at prejudicial error. Would you concede that the defendant would get a new trial? No, you're right. You you still think that the officer saying seventy miles per hour and the defendant tries to keep that out, the defendant's not entitled to a new trial. The state contends that the defendant should not have a new trial based just on that error uh, because of the overwhelming uh, other evidence in the case suggestive of reckless driving. Uh, speed is perhaps one element, but it's not a, a required element of reckless driving. Um, any one of the, the things that the defendant did in this case could constitute in and of itself reckless driving. Well, was there any evidence that another car was coming? When he was passing in a no passing zone, was there any evidence that he hit another car, that another car was coming, that he had to avoid? There, was I there don't any, there's any, if any there's evidence. no evidence, then how does a no passing? To me, it seems like speed would be a big part of that because I can pass people all the time and if there's nobody coming at me, I mean, how did that might have caused accident? Let's, let's assume let's assume that it might be prejudice. So I want to get back to this accident report. Was it was there some did the trial court hear um, argument about the accident report outside the presence of the jury? Is that correct? There was some um, discussion about the accident report, but there was nothing specific other than the defendant pointing out to the court that this report has a bunch of codes in it that the jury won't understand without some explanation. So, so there was no, nothing talked about that this shouldn't come in because this contains in the officer's impressions of speed and, and he's not an expert and all that. There was, there was no discussion about that. There was no specific discussion about that. Um, the defendant, uh, defense counsel did say that, um, you know, it contains the, the officer's uh, reconstruction of, of what happened, but not what actually happened. But I think when read in context, that comment referred back to uh, his reference to the, the codes that are contained in the accident report that the jury wouldn't understand without explanation, not necessarily to the officer's uh, diagram drawn in the, in the report or uh, the measurements that were indicated in the report, and certainly not to the other diagram that Trooper Reed prepared, which was part of Exhibit 2, which was never part of any discussion about whether or not it was competent. So was the purpose of this uh, outside the presence of the jury, did the judge make a determination, though, I think I'm going to let it in? Is that what the judge said, or did, was there any determination? Initially, initially the judge um, sustained the defendant's objection to the entire exhibit, but after the state continued its case in chief and laid further foundation, the state ultimately got to the question of, you know, do you have uh, an estimate of how fast the defendant was going? There's where we have the objection to that specific question. And then later we have the admission with a general over a general objection of the entire incident. So why did this, do we know why the trial court judge initially sustained the objection, but then overruled it at, at the actual trial? It, it appears because the, the court didn't feel that there was this, uh, sufficient foundation yet laid or introduction of the exhibit, which the state then corrected through further questioning of Trooper Settlemeyer. And once the state did that, uh, the court was apparently satisfied that sufficient foundation had been laid. Um, even 
considering the defendant's general objection when the exhibit was offered evidence. Was it was the trial court trying to lay a foundation that he was an expert qualified to do this, or what was the kind of foundation, or that he was the one that did it, that he that's filled it out? He was the one that. That's not clear from the record. Um, I can say that there is some indication that the court was of the opinion that this was that the accident report or the entire uh, packet, to some degree at least, was a business record and therefore was admissible as such. Uh, but again, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything contained in the record is admissible. Uh, however, that's all that I can glean from from the transcript of this case. Um, ultimately, okay. I can't say why. But you're saying it's possible the trial court judge said, okay, I'm going to allow this in as a business record. And at that point, the defendant should have st stood up and said, maybe, but it contains a lot of hearsay or it contains some expert opinions. And so that needs to be redacted or whatever. But it's not Absolutely. obvious from the context. He, he could have just, the trial counsel could have just simply been objecting based on it's not a business record. It's just not obvious, is what you're saying. Correct. Okay. And okay. Defense counsel had an opportunity to do that at least twice. First, when the uh, exhibit was was offered, but not uh, allowed, and then when the uh, when the exhibit was offered a second time. Uh, neither time did defense counsel specifically say. Oh, this is expert um, opinion stuff, or it's hearsay, or or whatever. Just the general objection, which um, again, state contends is to view of this matter under uh, under um, plain error. Uh, but again, even if the court doesn't uh, agree with that, the evidence in the case is more than sufficient to overcome any prejudice that was caused uh, by mission of the speed testimony. Thank you. Um, I do want to just briefly touch now on the second um, argument defendant makes in this appeal. Um, IAC claim ineffective assistance of counsel claim. Um, just very briefly, the state's position is that the defendant cannot show that counsel's efficient by agreeing with the state and with the court not to include an expert witness instruction in the case. Um, and even if it, the, even if that was an error, for the same reasons that uh, the plain error analysis applies and should prevail, uh, and the first argument applies to the second argument. What I mean is that the evidence, again, is so overwhelming indicating the defendant's guilt that um, any error that counsel made during the trial um, is outweighed by that. Um, and the defendant simply can't show that there was a probable, um, that a different verdict, sorry, that the jury probably would have reached a different verdict, which is the required standard under plain error. It's a very high standard uh, the courts have given great deference to defense counsel, all counsel, making their trial strategy decisions, uh, and that's for a good reason. That is to avoid the benefit of looking at a situation with 2020, perhaps from from hindsight, knowing more than counsel knew at the time. And let me suggest to the court that reason this uh, shouldn't be considered error in the first place is that there is a very good reason why counsel perhaps 
didn't want an expert witness opinion, or, or sorry, an instruction on expert witness opinion. And that is because there was never any expert admitted during the trial of the case. Um, no expert was offered by either side and no expert was admitted by the court. So to have a jury then receive an expert witness uh, opinion instruction when they haven't heard any such testimony, no one's been identified to the jury as an expert witness would be very confusing. Um, not only that, but it would add weight perhaps to the officer's testimony um, now that the, the court is, is indicating perhaps that that person was an expert. Um, and that testimony, I think the defendant would not want to emphasize under the circumstances of the case uh, and certainly didn't even attempt to challenge during the case. Um, the officer gave his opinion testimony about 70 miles per hour, but the defendant never questioned the officer about any basis for that opinion, um, how he came up with that estimate, never sought to challenge that testimony at all and never sought to challenge any other testimony from either of the troopers that might have been considered uh, expert opinion um, as they were explaining you know, how they believe the accident occurred. Um, so having an instruction would, would unnecessarily perhaps emphasize uh, that testimony to the defendant's detriment. And I, I think it would be uh, more than reasonable for a defense counsel not to want to emphasize that. Now, uh, to be clear, I think the standard here for finding whether or not the attorney committed any error is whether or not counsel's decision was objectively reasonable. And it, the inquiry is not whether it was a good decision or a bad decision, or whether 99 of 100 attorneys would have done something differently, but under the circumstances that existed at the time, was the was that decision objectively reasonable? For the reasons I've explained, I think that must be that it was objectively reasonable, uh, and therefore it should not be viewed as constituting error at all. And if that's uh, the decision of this court, then the second issue, whether or not prejudice occurred, the court doesn't even need to address. But as I've said, if the court should uh, feel the need to address that issue. Um, the evidence introduced in the case indicative of this defendant's culpable negligence uh, more than overcomes any prejudice caused by that by the defense counsel's error. Uh, your honors, if um, there are no further questions, I think that's um, what the state would like to present to the court. Thank you all very much. Thank you so much for your argument, and we'll hear from the appellant. You have five minutes. Thank you. Um, your honors, I just have uh, one really quick point about preservation and specifically about page five of States Exhibit 2, which is um, Trooper Settlemeyer's chart, like sort of accident reconstruction drawing and the little teeny tiny top box at the top that says 70 miles per hour. Um, it is very unclear if the jury ever saw that at all or if they saw maybe just the chart and not the top part um i went through the entire transcript every time something was published um it's either noted by the court reporter you know in the, like a parenthetical 
um, or, you know, the state says, I want to publish state's exhibit five and the court says, okay. And the state says, okay, I'm putting it up on the screen. And so for state's exhibit two, page five, while it was discussed, um, it, there's nothing that says that it was published to the jury. And I, you know, I don't have a case handy that says just having something admitted into evidence that the, you know, the jury never sees whether or not that would waive, you know, previous objection, but it seems like it shouldn't just under common sense. You're, you're saying the mere, the mere fact it was contained in the report is not, there's no evidence to show the jury actually saw it to have waived it. To support yes. a waiver argument. That's is that your point? Yeah, and I guess uh, maybe like the reason that we would say objection is waived if the evidence comes in without an objection later is because that is sort of like well the defendant you know now wants this to come in or something, um, and so. You know, he did object to state's exhibit two as a whole. And as far as if it wasn't published, there was nothing for him to object to besides the trooper testifying from the report that 70 miles per hour was the speed estimate. And um, if you look at Ms. Gomez, if you look at page two of the record, which is the indictment. The defendant's indictment for both involuntary manslaughter and reckless driving. The basis to support the culpable negligence um, operate a motor vehicle on a state or highway carelessly, heedlessly, and willful or wanton disregard for the rights and safety of others. Yes. Evidence of the Conditions of the road, the ball tires, passing on a no passing area, speed of the vehicle in relation to the conditions of the road. I know you want to think that 70 to 45 would shock the conscience of the jury, and it may. But if we take that out of the equation, isn't there enough in the indictment on the basis to support culpable negligence? Without the 70 miles per hour. Um, and I, I guess I might be repeating myself, but reckless driving can, in some situations, constitute culpable negligence. It doesn't in every situation. And just these allegations, carelessly and heedlessly, willful, wanton disregard is not the same as culpable negligence. Culpable negligence is requires something more. Well, on page 17 of the state's brief, he cites the Robertson case and he says reckless driving constitutes culpable negligence, citing Robertson. I'm sorry. I'm proven supports a conviction for involuntary manslaughter. I haven't read Robertson. I'm going to go back and reread it, but the state is making the assertion that the reckless driving conviction under Robertson would be sufficient to supply the culpable negligence. 
Actually, what the state says is reckless driving can constitute culpable negligence. It's, not that it does my, my copy doesn't say that. My copy says reckless driving constitutes culpable negligence. Yeah, I'm looking at a different. I'm looking at the top of page 25. Look at look at 17, second paragraph. Sorry, Your Honor. Um, reckless driving constitutes culpable negligence. And, and proving I, supports a conviction look, for involuntary manslaughter. I, I did look at that case, and um, I don't remember exactly what it said, but it didn't bother me enough to sort of make notes about it for this argument. Yeah. And um, I, I would be happy to supply the court with um, additional um, cases about the difference between reckless driving and culpable negligence and whether reckless driving necessarily always means you're culpably, culpably negligent. And I've made a note right here to uh, make put those in a memorandum of additional authorities. So that uh, uh, you certainly have that right and that opportunity is available to you. Um, to me, I think in, in what, under whatever standard, abuse of discretion, plain error, preserved error, whatever it is, even if we find an error with the reckless driving not being contested, and basically even if we would give you a new trial on the on the uh, uh, on the manslaughter, it seems to me that you know you, you may win the battle but lose the war. And so I just want to make sure if you feel like you want to address that, or at least if if you do prevail on your argument and it goes back for a new trial. I mean, it, I think I think that to me that's a very important point, whether or not that conviction for reckless driving in and of itself would support the verdict for the uh, for the manslaughter. I want to ask you too: Is your client has he served out his time? Is he out? He is. Uh, he was given probation, so that is. Well, he was given an active sentence, was he not? He was, but it it was suspended. In in its entirety. Yes. I thought it was a split sentence. It was not. He might have gotten like a short sentence, like fifteen days or something along those lines. I thought he got a minimum of sixteen months, followed by probation. That's not correct. Um. Let's see. I'm sorry, Your Honor. I'm trying to find it. He was sentenced to 16 to 29 months um, and it was suspended uh, 30 months of supervised probation. Supervised probation. That's on, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the judge. Yeah, he got a 15 active sentence. He was probably in pretrial detention for some period of time, was he not? I think he's only getting two days worth of credit according to the judgment. Well, that um, I understand your client at his young age doesn't want a felony conviction. Um, but in light of the consequences, it seems that he got off pretty light. Um, well, that's not actually for me to judge once uh, okay. 
Yeah, notice of appeal is given and I'm appointed. I have to do the best I can for him. You've done a good job and we I know he appreciates what you've done. Tough case. It's a hard case. Tragic case. A tragic case. Yes. Um, but if there are no other questions, um, thank you very much, Your Honors. Thank you, Mr. Lindsley. And what would you have us do, Counselor? Um, well, award him a new trial on involuntary manslaughter. Okay. Thank you all for your arguments, and we will take it under advisement. And, Court, will you close court for us, please? This session of the North Carolina Court of Appeals is now adjourned. Thank you. Thank you, guys.